All right, good morning. Just uh, for those of you who maybe uh, don't know me, uh, you've maybe seen my face up here a few times, but um, I am Brad Cowie, and I am the academic dean at Peace River Bible Institute. So this is kind of sort of a PRBI day, right? We've got PRBI people out there uh, sitting uh, with you. We had some PRBI people leading a worship. I mean, Alina, Britt, Shay, Courtney, Chris has even been helping us out this year a little bit. Uh, we got PRBI people working the tech stuff and the online stuff. I mean, we're everywhere, right? But uh, it's, it's a privilege for us to be a part of uh, what God is doing in the North Peace area, and it's been a privilege for us to be partnering with you in the work of Jesus over these many years. Uh, and I am also a member of this church, right? So I am uh, proud to be one of you as well and, uh, and be here uh, every week for worship together with you. So let's pray, and then we will dive into God's Word. Father, we thank you for this community that you have called together to be a representative of your people in this city and in this area of the world. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit who teaches us to understand. And as we open your word, may you open our hearts and our minds. We ask this all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I'm just wondering, and you probably had this experience as well as I have, but have you ever wondered what it would be like to have a third hand? Right? Like just that extra hand, you know, you're, you're juggling, you know, you got your arms full, you're juggling your groceries or you're juggling your tools or you're juggling your kids or whatever it is that you happen to be juggling. And it would just be nice to have that third hand, right, to do that little extra thing that you can't do. Because, uh, you know, sometimes we just need a little bit of help. Right? We just need that little bit of help. You know, when, when my kids were younger, like preschool age, we were at a uh, Christmas function, and on that particular function, Santa happened to show up. Now, my kids, when they were young, they're very, very different personalities, still very different personalities, uh, but when they were, especially when they were younger, Justin was definitely the shy one of the two, and our daughter, Shalise, was definitely the extrovert of the two. And uh, we were at this Christmas thing, and Shalise really wanted to go talk to Santa, but Santa's kind of scary when you're only two years old. So she wanted to talk to Santa, but Santa's scary. So there was no way she was going up to talk to Santa, but she was kind of distressed about this. And so big brother Justin, shy as he was, he had no interest in talking to Santa, but big brother Justin decided that, it was, it, that Santa needed to know what Shalice wanted for Christmas. And so he, of his own accord, with trembling knees and shaky voice, stepped forward and went to talk to Santa to tell him what his little sister wanted for Christmas. Sometimes you just need somebody to stand in the gap when you, when you need help. When I was first starting in pastoral ministry, I pastored for about 15 years before coming to PRBI. In my very first pastorate, probably just months into, as a very young pastor, I got a call from a couple who were on the verge of divorce. They were fighting, and he was about to walk out. They were on the verge of divorce, and just as a last-ditch effort, they had called a church at random and said, hey, can you send a, send a pastor over to help us? And so, uh, you know, I was a young pastor. didn't really uh, know exactly what I was doing, but I 
went over and has a visit with them and discovered that this knockdown, drag out fight that they were having that was about to put an end to their marriage was a fight over whose job it was to sweep the Cheerios off the kitchen floor. Now, we know obviously there was more going on than just Cheerios, but that's what the fight had, had de escalated or had escalated into, right? Is this whose job it is to sweep the Cheerios? And they were, they were ready to call it quits over Cheerios. What they needed was some help, somebody to bring perspective and say, you know, y'all know you're about to divorce over Cheerios. But you know, sometimes when emotions are high and tensions are high and there's a lot of stress, we just need some help. We need somebody to step into that conflict with us and bring us maybe some perspective and some balance and some, uh, a different way of looking at things. We just sometimes need help. And we're going to look at a passage today. We're continuing on in our walk through 2 Corinthians. We're going to look at a passage today where the Apostle Paul needs some help. And there's a man who steps into the gap to help him out. And so let's pick up the reading. We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So if you want to turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, or just follow along. And here's what we read. Paul writes this, starting at verse 16. He writes, Thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. We are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. In addition, we are sending with them our brother, who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the church and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. Now, it seems to understand this particular passage, we have to look a little bit at the backstory of what's going on at this particular time. And as we've kind of walked through this book, we've we've alluded to and, and mentioned some of the things that are going on kind of off and on. They've kind of come up from time to time depending on the passage that we've been looking at. But there is a backstory to the whole book of 2 Corinthians, and I think we need to understand to, to appreciate what's going on here. And the backstory is that there is a conflict going on, or there has been a conflict going on between Paul and this church at Corinth. We're not exactly sure what the conflict was about. There are some possibilities. We don't know. But there was a conflict that happened. Something had happened, and uh, the church at Corinth had gotten angry at Paul or something, or Paul had gotten angry at them, or something had gone wrong, and now there was this conflict. And the conflict had caused so much stress and pain to the apostle Paul that he canceled a visit to the church and sent instead what Paul calls a severe letter. Now, we don't know what he, necessarily what he wrote in that letter, but uh, maybe some very hard truths that he wrote in that letter. And he writes this letter to them. 
Now, even though as we read through 2 Corinthians, it seems like the church has received this letter and has repented and sought a reconciliation with Paul. We we found that in chapter 7. There are also hints throughout the whole book that things have not been completely resolved yet, that there is still some tension. Now, that shouldn't really surprise us, right? Because just think about what happens when there is conflict, when we have fights, when there's anger, when there's hurt, when all those things happen. And just think about the the dynamics of what that does uh, to us. And even when we come to a point where maybe we make apologies and we offer forgiveness and we seek reconciliation, we sort of do all those right things, the emotions don't necessarily change overnight, do they? The hurt doesn't necessarily just magically go away or miraculously go away. The wounds often are still there and they take some time to heal. And so even when our intentions are good and we seek reconciliation and we, and we seek resolution, sometimes it takes a while for these things to take root. And there can be sort of this, these lingering tensions, maybe hurt, pains, grudges, these lingering tensions that do not go away right away. Right. And so this seems to be what's happening in this, in this church. So even though there's been signs of a reconciliation in chapter 7, when we get to chapter 12, Paul is still showing a bit of hesitancy. He tells them, I'm planning to come and visit you, but he also says, I'm still not sure what kind of a reception I'm going to get. I hope I get a good reception when I show up. So there does seem to be still a little bit of tension here right? and, and some stress. There is still some pain. There is still some hesitancy. Right? And so this is kind of going on in, in the background of this letter. Right? And now in addition to this, it seems that there are certain opponents of Paul who are really not big fans of Paul, and they've been running around telling people that Paul's not really much of an apostle. He's not really that impressive. He's not all that. Uh, maybe he's even a false teacher. Maybe you shouldn't even be listening to him. And so there are these troublemakers who seem to be going around following Paul and causing trouble for him. And it seems that they have a a foothold in the Corinthian church as well. And so he's fighting that. And then in addition to that, if that's not enough, there is also the matter of this offering. See, the church in Jerusalem was in financial need at this particular point. And so what had happened was a number of the uh, churches in the Gentile area had agreed to take up a collection and then send that money to Jerusalem to help the church in Jerusalem out. And so this collection had been started, and Paul was kind of in the middle of all this. But it seems that what had happened was the Corinthian church had kind of backed off of their commitment. Now, we don't know if this is related to the conflict, but it would be reasonable, I think, to assume that it was, as these things were probably related, right? So the church in Corinth had kind of been, it seems, maybe a little hesitant or had not yet at this point yet followed through. And so this is also of concern to Paul. Will the church follow through on their commitment to give this money to the church in Jerusalem? Or has enough damage been done that they no longer want to participate? So all these things are still in play, even as we get into the middle of this letter. It's a very delicate situation. Yes, there has been reconciliation. Yes, there has been resolution. But there is still tension between Paul and this church. Will the Corinthians really welcome him back with open arms? And maybe more urgently at this point, will they follow through on their commitment to give this money to the church in Jerusalem as they promised? And so knowing kind of the sensitive nature of this situation, 
But not wanting support, the support for Jerusalem to be delayed, it seems that now Paul has sent another delegation to the church in Corinth. Uh, it consists of at least three men. Now, two of them are anonymous. We don't know who they are. We only know that they were people who Paul trusted and whom the other churches trusted. And he, he tells the Corinthian church, you need to, these are good men. They're godly men with godly intentions. Please welcome them and, and trust them in the work that they do. The third man is one that we do know by name, and his name is Titus. And Titus is the guy I want to talk about a little bit today. Uh, Titus was a Gentile. He was a friend of Paul's. He was a ministry partner of Paul's. Uh, We don't know a lot about Titus, but we do know a few things about Titus. And it seems like Titus is a very significant character in what is going on in this particular situation. You see, when Paul cuts off his visit because it's too painful for him to go because of the conflict, it is Titus who goes in Paul's stead. He goes and visits the church in Corinth. It may be, in fact, that it is Titus who carries this painful letter that Paul refers to, this severe letter. It may be that Titus was the one who carried that letter to the Corinthians and delivered it to them. And Titus may even have served as a bit of a negotiating presence on behalf of Paul as they read and processed that letter. It is Titus who goes back to Paul once the Corinthians kind of come to their senses, you might say, or repent and say, no, yes, yes, we were wrong, we need to make this right. It is Titus who goes back to Paul and says, good news, the Corinthian church has decided to, uh, to repent. They're sorry for what they have done. And now, when the collection for Jerusalem needs to be restarted and the Corinthians need to be prodded, and you know, it's always sensitive to talk about money, when they need to be prodded to give their money, who does, who does Paul send? Titus. It's Titus who steps into that project to restart it. Uh, in many ways, you might say that Paul puts the fate of his ongoing relationship with the Corinthian church into the hands of Titus. Right? Titus is now Paul's representative in this uh, interaction, this negotiation. And this isn't the only time Titus has done something like this. We also know from other books in the Bible that Titus was one of the guys that had accompanied Paul when he went to Jerusalem to debate the question of whether the Gentile Christians needed to be circumcised and follow the Jewish laws in order to follow Jesus. And this was a, a huge debate and a huge source of conflict in the early church in the first century. And, it, and Titus is one of the guys who goes with Paul to work this conflict out in Jerusalem. We also find later that Titus goes to a church in Crete to bring order to a church that, from the biblical record, seems to have a reputation for being somewhat stubborn and unruly. And so in order to kind of restore some order and some structure to this church, Paul sends Titus. Titus is the guy. And tradition says that Titus uh, actually became the bishop of the church of Crete, the bishop of Crete. So Titus is, he's a problem solver, right? He's a problem fixer. He's a restoration expert. Uh, He's a negotiator. He's a rebuilder. He's a reconciler. The word I'm going to use today for Titus is Titus is a peacemaker. He is a peacemaker. Now, a peacemaker is not a conflict avoider. Any Any of you fellow conflict avoiders? 
I am by nature a conflict avoider, right? Titus is not a conflict avoider. A conflict avoider is someone who tries to brush the conflict under the carpet, pretend that it doesn't matter, pretend that it's not really that serious, and just say, can't we all just get along? That's a conflict avoider. But they avoid the issues and they settle for a ceasefire, which as we all know, a ceasefire is not the same thing as peace. But conflict avoiders will settle for a ceasefire. Neither is a peacemaker a meddler who pokes their nose in where it doesn't belong and stirs up unnecessary conflict because they won't stop nitpicking at little things that don't matter. That's not a peacemaker either. Uh, What a peacemaker is, is a peacemaker is someone who holds in tension the reality of real conflict. There are real issues. There are real questions. There are real truths that need to be wrestled through. And we can't pretend that they're not there. We can't just turn a blind eye towards them. We need to address these issues. They hold in tension those real issues with the hope and goal that reconciliation is possible. That if we will just work through these things, we can reach peace, we can reach restoration, we can reach reconciliation. That is a peacemaker. And that's what I think Titus was. Now, why do I say that? Well, I think there are some qualities that Titus really embodies that we sort of pick up little hints and and, and cues as we read this particular passage. And I just want to draw your attention to some of these things. What is it that makes Titus such a... Uh, an effective peacemaking presence, that he gets entrusted with all this kind of conflict resolution kind of things. He's kind of Paul's conflict resolution guy. So why Titus? What does Titus have? Well, here are some qualities I think Titus exemplifies. I'll give you four. The first one is this. Titus loved the church. Quality number one. Titus loved the church. I mean, we read here that he goes to the Corinthian church in the middle of this tension of his own accord. Yes, Paul and his associates say Titus would be a good candidate, but Paul also says Titus goes with much enthusiasm and of his own accord. He volunteers. Who are we going to send back to Corinth to kind of make sure they get started on this collection? Titus goes, I'll go, right? Because Titus loves the church. He cares about the church. And And this kind of can be taken, I think, in a couple of ways, and both of them are worth our attention. First of all, Titus loved the people in the church. He cared about their spiritual well-being. He cared about relationship with them. He cared about their relationship with Paul. And, and Titus has a love for the people in the church, I think. I also think Titus had a value and a love for the church as the church. He understood what the church was, its identity as the people of God. It's importance as the community of faith, brothers and sisters in Christ, living together, holding one another up. It's the power of its collective life, the mission to which the church uh, had been called. That the church was too important just to let disintegrate uh, through conflict. And so Titus loves the people in the church, and he also loves the church as the church. And he is willing to step into this gap because of his love for the church. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody in the church was always lovable, wouldn't that be great? If we were always lovable, always kind, always generous, there was no conflict, no selfishness, no division, all just love for one another, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? And someday in eternity we will get to experience that. But that's not now is it? 
That's not the reality in which we live. See, people are broken. We're broken. I'm broken. You're broken. We are broken, and that means churches are broken. And that means there will sometimes be conflict, and there will sometimes be pain. And that can be frustrating, and that can be disillusioning. And sometimes it's tempting just to give up on one another and say, you know, I'm, I'm out of here. I no longer want to participate, or I'll participate from a distance. You know, I'll watch church online. I'm not saying everybody that's watching church online is, is there for this, right? But there are people who have just decided, I'm not, not, not just even GPAC, just people in, around the world in North America who have just decided, I am not going into a church building. I will do all my church, just I'll watch videos online. Because I don't want to be with the people in the church. It, it, it can be very disillusioning. You know, and Barb and I actually went through a period, said I spent 15 years in pastoral ministry, and now I'm at PRBI. So kind of my whole adult life, I've been involved in ministry and involved in, in church or, or something related to church. But there was a time, a number of years ago, there was a time when we really struggled to go to church. We really did not want to go. Uh, there had just been one too many heartbreaks, one too, no, one pain too many, one frustration too many, one conflict too many, and it just, it was just no longer, it was not something we looked forward to. We just did not want to go. And we had to work through that. We had to kind of wrestle our way through that. And one of the things that that kept us coming back, even though we didn't feel like, and there are some days, yeah, we'd wake up on Sunday morning, we'd turn to one another and go, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to go to church either. But we had to work through that. And one of the things that kept us uh, working through that was just the realization of what the church is. I mean, it is the people of God. It is the bride of Christ. It is the community of faith. I need the church, and the church needs me in order for both me and the church to thrive. And so our, we, we just, that conviction, that understanding that it was not optional for us not to love the church in spite of the frustration and the pain. And so we had to work through that, and we had to find our way back into church. See, if I want to be a peacemaker, I must love the church, and I must love the people, and I must sometimes even love the people I'm in conflict with. I must love people as they really are and not just as I wish they would be. I must love the church as it really is and not just as I wish it would be. I must love and value the cause and the mission that we have been called to together. I must love and value our common life together. Enough so that I want to engage in that. And I must be willing to pursue imperfect relationships with imperfect people for the sake of Christ for the sake of the church. Not ignoring the issues, not sweeping them under the rug or pretending they're not there, but realizing that, yes, sometimes relationships will be messy in the church. As 1 Peter 4.8 tells us, above all, love one another deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. See, I think Titus loved the church. He wanted them to thrive in spite of the trouble and pain they had caused. And he was willing to invest himself in their reconciliation. So, 
Titus loves the church. Second thing about Titus is he had impeccable integrity. Even in this very touchy situation, you get the sense that Paul has a very deep trust in Titus. He trusts him to visit on his behalf. He trusts him to carry his letter. He trusts him to negotiate with him. And I think the reason Paul can trust Titus is because Titus was a man of integrity. And even in the conflict, Titus would not compromise his integrity. He would stand true. You see, peacemakers are committed to acting with integrity even in conflict. Because whenever there's conflict, one of the things that we battle with, I think, is the temptation to try to manipulate the situation to our advantage. And we'll use lies, we'll use guilt, we'll use emotions, we'll use accusations to kind of make sure we get our way. Any means necessary to bend the situation to our advantage. But peacemakers are unshakably committed to integrity. Peacemakers will not stoop to manipulating situations or spreading gossip or playing politics or pitting people against one another. Peacemakers, even when the stakes are high and emotions are strained, peacemakers will act with good intentions and with true honesty to the best of their ability. You can trust what a peacemaker tells you because they will not manipulate the truth just to get you to do what they think you should do. They will tell you the truth. Peacemakers will insist that conflict be settled justly and fairly with wisdom and with truth and not with power, threats, and bullying. And Titus seems to be a guy that Paul has just unconditional trust in. Titus, I know, will speak what needs to be spoken. Titus will stand in the gap because Titus is a man I trust. He's a man of integrity, and he will not compromise even in the midst of conflict. Third thing about Titus is that Titus has courage. He has courage. I mean, we do have to appreciate the awkwardness of what's going on here, right? Uh, Titus has shown up in Corinth uh, with Paul's letter. I mean, that itself takes a bit of guts. You don't really know how they're going to respond to them, right? And, uh, you know, even in the other conflicts, uh, you, know, there's always, uh, you know, there's always potential that things can get really awkward. Um, and, and Titus is, seems to be a guy that just is, is not going to be pushed around or intimidated by that awkwardness. He's willing to stand in that awkwardness. You know, sometimes in classes, like, we encourage the students to kind of kick around different ideas, and sometimes uh, things will get a little bit heated. Some, some student will say something, and another student will very strongly disagree, right? And as soon as that disagreement is voiced, you can almost feel the tension in the room. And all the other students kind of hold their breath. What, what's going to happen here, right? We don't like that awkwardness of disagreement. Uh, we don't like that awkwardness of, uh, that, that conflict can sometimes bring, right? So it takes courage to stand in the middle of that. It takes courage to say what needs to be said, to hear what needs to be heard, to not get easily triggered or easily spooked, to not get provoked or discouraged, to not go on the defensive or to counterattack to protect ourselves. It takes courage to do that takes courage to stand and hear those hard truths, to let the emotions be expressed, to let the pains be put on the table, to let the hard things be spoken. It's not comfortable. It takes courage. And not many people really enjoy conflict, but the courageous are willing to face that. And I think we have in, in Titus a guy who is willing to do that. Titus may have had to listen to some pretty angry people when he got to Corinth. 
They might have taken their frustrations out on Paul. They might have even taken their frustrations out on Titus. But we don't see Titus shying away from conflict. We see Titus as somebody who gently but firmly is willing to stand his ground so that peace can be made. Titus has courage. And then the last thing is that Titus abounded in grace. He abounded in grace. Even in the midst of this tense situation where there was maybe some anger and some frustration and maybe even some very hurtful things that were said in the, in the process of all this, because that's just how conflict goes. We all know this, right? We all live this. Even in the midst of that, you don't get the sense that Titus ever holds a grudge against the Corinthian church. Even though they have deeply hurt his friend Paul, you don't get the sense that he holds a grudge. And when the Corinthian church says, you know what, we were wrong, we need to make this right, Titus is delighted to go back and tell Paul, good news, the Corinthian church wants to reconcile with you. Now, 1 Corinthians 7 tells us, his spirit was refreshed and his love for the Corinthians was increased. Right? This is great. We don't find Titus saying, well, I'm never going to go back there again. That's a scary place. Those people are mean. You don't find him doing that. We don't find Titus going, I hope they get what they deserve, or All right, we're letting them off the hook easy. We, don't, we need justice. We, we don't find Titus doing any of those things. When it's time to, again, step into that sensitive question, is there, are the Corinthians going to follow through on this offering for Jerusalem or not? Titus goes, I'll go. I'll go back. I'll go back and make sure that they do it. I'll go back and check. You just do not get the sense that Titus is a guy who's going to hold a grudge against the Corinthians. He is a man who understands forgiveness, and he accepts their repentance, and he's more than willing to step back into relationship with them. Titus is a man who abounds in grace. Now, I want to bring this conversation back home a little bit for us, and I want to make a bit of a disclaimer here. Right. You know, we should, we should always put disclaimers up on the screen whenever, you know, we have a guest speaker. Like, the, the opinions of the speaker expressed are not necessarily the opinions of the church, its elders or its pastors. Right. You should actually put that up. But, um, but the elders are letting me say this again, so I guess it didn't go too bad the first service, right? So we should be okay. Uh, but uh, just let me say this uh, to you, this, and then I, I want to share a little bit. Um, I am, I'm not a pastor in this church, right? I'm not on staff here. Uh, I'm not an elder I don't have any inside track uh, information any more than any of you might have just through casual conversation. Uh, I, I, I don't have any of those types of things. I'm, I'm just a member of this church, and I serve in this church just the way many of you serve in this church. Right? Uh, so, uh, so this is not something that comes from some kind of an inside thing or the elders put me up to this or anything. This is just something I feel prompted I need to say, and I'm hoping the Holy Spirit is going to use it because maybe some of you need to hear this, right? So this is what I want to say. Uh, you know, these past couple years have been kind of tough for us as a church. Right? There's been, I mean, we've got the ongoing pandemic tension, right, and divided opinions and all the kind of things going. Sometimes emotions can run pretty high in all that. Uh, we sort of have the sort of the normal conflicts and the people bumping up against each other and then wounds and conflicts. We're going through a pastoral transition, Right, that we didn't see coming. I mean, there's lots of things that, that are going on. And I just kind of have this feeling, and I'm, I'm not a prophet. I am not prophesying disaster. Everything could go really well. Right? But transitions are vulnerable times for churches. 
they are vulnerable times for churches. And things can go really bad. I've been on staff in, for three pastoral transitions over the course of my ministry. Things can go really well. Things can go really bad. But it may be that the Holy Spirit wants to say to some of you, it's time for you to be a peacemaker. It's time for you to be a peacemaker. It's time for you to put aside your agendas, your hopes, your wishes, and maybe even your wounds and your hurts and your frustrations and be a peacemaker. It's time for you to be someone who loves the church in all of its brokenness more than maybe your own personal agendas or hopes or desires or wishes what this church could be or should be and just love the church with all its warts and brokenness its beauty and its ugliness. It's time for you to love the church. It's time for you to act with integrity and faithfulness even when the stakes are high. To not try to manipulate, play politics, try to get your way, but just say, God, what is it you want to do through this church? I want to be there. And I want to walk with integrity. I want to walk with honesty. If there's hard things that need to be said, I need to say them. If there's hard things that need to be heard, I need to hear them. Right? But I want to walk with integrity. Maybe God is asking for people who will have the courage to say and hear and do uncomfortable things, but things that make for peace and reconciliation. Maybe there's difficult conversations you need to have. I know the whole, that God was tapping me on the shoulder this week and reminding me, pointing out to me a few difficult conversations I probably need to have. And God's asking you to have courage. And God's asking you to have grace towards other people. To apologize when you need to apologize and to forgive when you need to forgive. And God is asking us to be, I don't say maybe, God is asking us to be peacemakers. <laughs> Can we get rid of the Maybe. God wants us to be peacemakers. Will you be a peacemaker? Now, we're going to transition into communion. Uh, and this is providential. I, when, when this passage um, was given and I started working on it, I didn't actually know we were having communion today. But uh, I think this is great. Because in many ways, Titus is an imitator of Christ. And Christ is our ultimate reconciler. He is our ultimate peacemaker. He's the one who stepped into the gap to reconcile us with God. And when we take communion, when we share that, that bread that represents his broken body, and when we share that cup that represents his blood, we are remembering the price that Christ paid so we could be reconciled. And in response to that, now Christ calls us to reconcile with one another. And so uh, we are going to take communion together. Um, just, just by way of information, if you're visiting with us you are, and you are a Christ follower, you are welcome to take communion with us. Uh, if you're part of the family of God, you are a follower of Christ, please uh, participate with us. Uh, also, you would have received the uh, bread and cup as you were coming in, but if you didn't, just slip your hand up and there are some uh, elders who will make sure that you get um, the cup and bread. So just right now as I'm talking, if you didn't get something, just kind of get one of the guys' attentions and, uh, and they'll get you some stuff. Uh, but I want to read uh, the, um, the passage from 1 Corinthians just to kind of help us transition into communion. Uh, and I want to point out, just as I read this, that Paul brings this communion passage to the church's attention in the midst of a conversation about community. 
about loving one another, about what it means to be the body of Christ. And so Paul ties very specifically our union with Christ with our union with one another. And it's in that context that he writes these words. He says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And he kind of goes on to challenge the church to say, and if this is what Christ Christ paid for us to be the body, then let's get about the business of being the body that Christ gave his life for. So we're going to go to just a brief time of reflection and science, and then the elders are going to lead us in sharing together the cup and the bread. And what I want to invite you to do as uh, they're coming forward is just to spend a a moment uh, and asking God, God, what does it mean for me to be a peacemaker? What does it mean for me to stand in the gap like you stood in the gap in my church this year? So I just invite you to just spend a few minutes of silence just listening to God, uh, reflecting on that, preparing for communion, and then the elders will lead us in sharing together.